Welcome to this sermon podcast from Myo Baptist Church, and thank you for listening to today's message. We pray that God's Word will be an encouragement to you and a reminder that the Bible has all the answers to living a successful and fulfilled life. Again, thanks for listening. We now join the service in progress. She said, well, let me write. So she put the information on here, and I guess that's, you know, about Beth. And I guess she wants me to announce also what's on the other side. Beth has a doctor's appointment with Dr. Paulson (laughs) on May 23rd at 4 o'clock. Chiropractic appointment. So I guess she wants y'all to know that. (laughs) Everybody knows now. Am I... Now, on one line, you got April, and the other line, you got, oh, that, you're April. I was wondering, y'all, you missed it, but your name is April, and it's for, okay, we got that. Can you find joy in the midst of trials? Wouldn't that be great if you could? That you're going through a serious trial, and yet deep down within you, there is a joy. A joy that meets at the intersection of hope and peace. That's where you find joy. We're not talking about happiness this morning. I think you can make a distinction between happiness and joy. As I said a little bit ago, when I think about happiness, I think about happenings or happenstance. Sure, you can be happy when you get a raise at at, at work, You can be happy when you go on vacation. You can be happy when you shoot that big buck. You can be happy, ladies, when it's 50% off, you know. So, but that's temporary, and that can change. We're not talking about that this morning. We're asking the question, can you find joy in the midst of trials? You cannot, I don't think, find happiness in the midst of trials. Yesterday, Sharon and I went down to Lansing, to Community Baptist Church, Pastor Tim Jackson. Uh, Sadly, his wife was misdiagnosed a couple years ago uh, and just was, in the last nine months, properly diagnosed, but properly diagnosed tragically with a brain cancer, and uh, she passed away. And, uh, you know, way too young. She was only 60 years old. And we went down to that funeral yesterday. And there was not happiness there. There was joy, but there wasn't happiness. You know, losing those children's grandmother, those two sons' mother, that that husband's wife, there's nothing happy about that. But there was joy. A joy runs much deeper, and it's based on different things. And I would think any reasonable person, particularly Christians, would want to know that you can have that deep abiding joy, even in difficult times. We're going to look at one of the most difficult um, times in all the New Testament. 
It's the night of the Lord's Supper. Now, as we get into this, it's going to take me a while before we get to the joy part. But trust me, I'm going, I'm starting back at the beginning and working. I'm going somewhere with this, okay? So I want you to pay attention. It was truly the heaviest and weightiest evening in the history of the world. And we do refer to it as the Last Supper. This is the night that Jesus is assembled with the disciples that have followed him through thick and thin. And what Jesus said that night answers the question for you and me. Can you find joy in the midst of trials and tribulations? Wouldn't it be good to know that? Wouldn't it be good to know that you don't have to fall apart? You don't have to be filled with anxiety and despair and depression, even in trials. Wouldn't it be good to know that one of the blessings that's yours because you are a believer is that even in the most difficult circumstances, you can still have within your soul a peaceful joy. Some people would probably say, no, that's impossible. You may be surprised, though, what we're going to learn this morning from what the Bible says, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at the Bible. That last evening, when Jesus is meeting with his disciples, the next day he is going to be crucified a horrible death. Jesus was saying goodbye to his disciples that evening in the upper room as they were eating there the Passover meal. The tension that night in that room was so thick you could have cut it with a knife, so to speak. The disciples around Jesus could tell something's wrong. And something's not right tonight. And they were confused, they were perplexed, they were scared. It was that night that Jesus washed their feet. What does that mean? Peter said, no, you're not going to wash my feet. Come to realize that, yes, Jesus, you do need to wash my feet. But perplexing to him. Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. This body I give for you, this bread represents my body, this juice represents my blood. What what is that all about? You you ask us to follow you, and we have followed you, and our expectations are high. And this isn't making sense. Then Jesus tells them, one of you is going to betray me. There may have been an audible gasp looking around. What what do you mean, one of us? We're we're your disciples. We're we're the 12 disciples. We've been following you. We've we've been on the road with you. We've we've been with you through the good times and and through the bad. And then Jesus tells them he's leaving them. What what do you mean? Why, Why would you ask us to follow you and then tell us that you are leaving? All of this is happening that night. Listen to how Scripture describes that night. In Matthew 26, it's talking about that night. And it says, And as they did eat, he said, Verily I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. And they were exceeding sorrowful. And began every one of them to say unto him, Lord, is it I? What? You know, they're, they're not having a party that night. These are not good times. 
They were exceeding sorrowful. If not me, then who? What, which, which one of us? Who among us is, is, is going to do this? It's, it's incalculable with them that they could even be entertaining such a thought. And it says they were exceedingly sorrowful. <clears throat> this is a heavy night. This is a heavy situation. John's account, chapter 13 He says, Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, whither goest thou? This is that same night. Just John's description. Jesus answered him, Whether I go, thou canst not follow me now, but thou shalt follow me afterwards. And Peter said unto him, Lord, why cannot I follow thee now? I will lay down my life for thy sake. Again, it's not adding up. It's not going according to plan. That might be describing your life right now. It's not going according to plan. You didn't expect this in the marriage. You did not expect this from your children. You did not expect that health report from the doctor. You did not expect finances to be in the situation they are in. You did not expect that you would ever get addicted. You see, being saved is the best thing that can ever happen to you. But we still live in a sin-cursed world. And we, while we escape many of the problems of the world, we don't escape all the problems of the world. These disciples didn't, and neither will you and I. And Peter is confused. And then in chapter 14 of John, it says, Thomas, now someone, one of the other disciples is going to speak up now, that same night, Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest. And how can we know the way? And Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And then he goes on to say what he says in verse number 7. But again, it's not making sense to these guys. I mean, this is a dangerous situation too because they know that there have been people out to kill their leader. In fact, they're going to come later on that night and take him away. And now their leader is going to be gone from them. We've been following you and now we have nobody to follow. Can you imagine their angst? Because this is potentially life-threatening for each and every one of them. That same evening, Jesus gives them his farewell address, if you please. And he is giving them their final instructions. They're still scratching their heads saying, this isn't making sense. You asked us to follow you. We followed you. We're committed to you. Now you're telling us that one of us is going to betray you. We don't know who that is. I don't know if it's me. I don't know if it's the one sitting next to me. We're following you. We're in jeopardy now, and you're leaving us? So he gives them some instructions, some very specific instructions. Number one, in John chapter 14, that same evening, he tells them, keep my commandments. Keep my commandments. He says in verse number 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. That's what he wants all of his disciples to do, not just those 12. But that instruction to keep my commandments was written in the Word of God and has been preserved for these 2,000 years because he would say to you and I today, if he were here, keep my commandments. That's pretty challenging in this culture. We want to do things our way. 
But he told them, and he tells us to keep his commandments. Some examples of what he was talking about. You go back to his Sermon on the Mount. What, what kind of commandments? Well, in the Sermon on the Mount, in verse number 44 of Matthew chapter 5, he says, But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. That's one of his commandments. That's what he taught them. He says, now keep it. Don't explain it away. Don't make excuses for yourself. Love your enemies. That's what he told them that night before he left. He says, keep my commandments. From that same message, the Sermon on the Mount, in chapter 6, verse number 19, he says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. That's a commandment. What are you saying is don't be materialistic. Don't be hoarders. Don't think that everything is in money. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. That's a commandment. And it was a commandment to them, it's a commandment to you and I. And yet there are Christians that do not give because they're laying up treasures on earth. They do not tithe. You're disobeying God's commandment. Another example from that same Sermon on the Mount, chapter 7, verse number 12, Therefore all things whatsoever you would that men should do unto you, do ye even so to them, for this is the law of the prophets. That's the golden rule. He simply commanded them, say, hey, do unto others what you would have them do unto you. And that's what he's teaching them, and that's the commandment. These men had heard him teach this and much, much more. That's just a little sampling of what he meant when he said on that last night before he left, he's looking them in the eye and they're just looking at him like, we, we don't get it. He says, keep my commandments. Keep my commandments. That same night, in the same words of his closing address, his farewell address, if you please, not only did he tell them to keep my commandments, but he told them something else. And just like the keep my commandments applies to all the disciples, this applies to all disciples. Those disciples and the disciples sitting in this room. The second thing he said to them was simply this, bear fruit. Bear fruit. John 15, 8, that same passage, that same night, he says, Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. He says, I'm leaving, and they're going, what? He says, keep my commandments, and I'm going to be gone, but I want you to bear fruit. What does that mean? Well, you interpret the Bible with the Bible. It can be the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5.22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. He was telling them, bear fruit, which could mean, in part, the fruit of the Spirit. Be that kind of person. But souls that we went to the Lord, that is described as fruit. In Philippians 4.17, the Apostle Paul says, Not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. He's talking, that's in the context of uh, him being a missionary and winning people to the Lord. He describes the people that he won to the Lord as fruit. So when the Lord says bear fruit, he can be talking about the fruit of the Spirit. He can be talking about souls that we're supposed to be saved. And there is also the fruit of righteousness, James 3.18. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. 
So on that night, as they're sitting there looking at him, trying to figure out what in the world is going on here, he says to them, keep my commandments. And he says to them, bear fruit. And if you're a disciple in this room, that applies just as much today to you. Keep his commandments. And that's one of the reasons I encourage folks to be faithful in church, not only Sunday school, Sunday morning, but Sunday afternoon and Wednesday night, because you're not going to know the commandments if you're not studying them. And you can't keep what you don't know. That's one of the reasons I encourage faithfulness. The world, the flesh, Satan is working against you all week. When you come here and you walk through these doors, we're working for you. We're working for you. Just like this morning, I want you to know joy. <clears throat> you may be in a difficult marriage right now, but you can still have joy. You, you, you might have, have children that are breaking your heart, but you can still have joy. And then he says one other thing in that same passage. Here's his third command. He says, love one another. <clears throat> you know, the final words of any man are words that are to be taken seriously. And his final words are, these things I command you that you love one another. And the Bible gives us lots of examples about loving one another. Galatians 6, 2, bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Acts 2, 44 and 45, and all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and good and parted them to all men as every man had need. Hebrews 10, 24, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. He says, love one another and, and do it through your actions. And he was telling his disciples then, and this has been preserved through the centuries for today because it's just as applicable today that we love one another. Not only just with that feeling of love, but by doing for one another, encouraging one another, being there for one another, helping one another uh, financially or physically whenever that is possible. So the tension is so thick that night, you could cut it with a knife. They are perplexed. They don't know what's going on. They are exceeding sorrowful. And then he tells them, he tells them, he says, look, keep my commandments, bear fruit, and love one another. And in the heaviness of that evening, he then says something that almost could seem out of place. As if they aren't confused enough as it is, as if they aren't perplexed enough as it is, as if they're not sorrowful enough as it is. He says something that is both astounding and should be totally encouraging to any person in this room and any person through the centuries. Somebody back in the 1500s, some family in the 1800s, some family back in the Middle Ages, this would apply to them when in the midst of all this heaviness and the seriousness of the moment, in that same message, 
He says, These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. Think about that for a second. In the heaviness and the weightiness of that moment, he turns the topic to joy. Now that might would seem to us, humanly speaking, to be out of context and it doesn't make sense, but God knew exactly what he was doing and what he was saying there. He is saying there, in the weightiness of this moment, you can have joy. And what a wonderful lesson of hope and peace to every person since then. Through the Middle Ages, through the Dark Ages, through the Reformation, uh, through the discovery of America, through the history of our country, up until this moment, that verse reverberates. And that verse can give you hope, that verse can give you peace, even in your deepest trial, even at the funeral of a lady yesterday that was referred to as Mimi with her grandchildren sitting up there on the front row. No happiness there, but a joy. And a joy that will get you through those moments of trials and tribulation. In other words, the answer to the question is, yes, you can have joy, even in the midst of trials. He says, these things, all these men, They're sitting around just looking at him. These things I have spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. What's that mean? He says in that verse, these things have I spoken unto you. That's that's key. He said, these things have I spoken unto you. What things? We just went through them. He says, keep my commandments, bear fruit, and love one another. He says it in more words than that, but if you were to outline his farewell message, that's the, way it would, that's the way it would outline. Keep my commandments, bear fruit, and love one another. So he says, these things have I spoken unto you. Keep my commandments, bear fruit, love one another. Now, that assumes responsibility. Boy, we live in a country where anybody where they want anything but responsibility. And that's the reason people are miserable. This is a responsibility that can bring you joy. When you understand that God loves you, he sent his son to die for you, that son, that night before he died, says, keep my commandments, bear fruit, and love one another. And what he is saying there, he says, if you do these things, I will be happy with you. If you do these things, I will be happy with you. Listen to what he said. These things have I spoken unto you. Keep my commandments, bear fruit, love one another. And the next phrase he says, that my joy might remain in you. If you do those things, I will be happy with you. And the implication is, if you're not doing those things, you call yourself my disciples, A disciple is supposed to follow the leader. If you're truly a disciple, these last instructions that I've given you, 
If you do them, my joy will remain with you. I will be happy with you. And of course, the implication is, you're not doing those things? I'm not going to be happy with you. That makes sense. He's God in the flesh. He created us. He, and the good news is he loves us and he wants what's best for us. And he knows what's best for us is to keep his commandments, bear fruit, and love one another. And he says this. If I am happy with you, then your joy can be full. That's what he says. These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. My joy is full because he is filled with joy for me. I can have joy because I'm right with God. Even though I'm going through a financial downturn. Even though I'm going through whatever you want to call it with your spouse. Even though I am brokenhearted over a wayward child. Because, to the best of my ability, and I'm not perfect, but I have a heart for God. And I am trying to live his commandments. And I am trying to bear fruit. And I am trying to love the brethren. And even though I'm not perfect, Lord, I think I can say that I'm trying to do what you want me to do. Then you can have the peace of knowing That his joy is in you, and therefore your joy can be full. In other words, you do what I've told you to do, and I will have joy in you, and then you will experience joy. It's a pretty simple idea, folks. It's a pretty simple idea. If my dad, when I was a child, had given me some instructions, and he told me, he says, Look, I'm going away. I want you to mow the grass. I want you to wash the car. I want you to take out the garbage. Listen, if I get on that right away and I do it, then I know my dad is pleased with me. I can have a good day. But let's say I don't do those things. You know, I could even go to Funfair Park. Remember Funfair Park? You do remember Funfair Park? I don't think it's there anymore. At the corner of Airline and Florida Boulevard in Baton Rouge, it was just a little amusement park. If I didn't do what my dad had told me to do, there's no way I could have enjoyed Funfair Park because I know my answer to my dad, and that's going to hang over me all the time. That's going to hang over me all the time. No Christian can be happy outside of God's will. But a Christian can have happiness no matter the situation, or have joy, I should say, to keep it straight, can have joy even though, whether you're at Funfair Park or not. It's just that simple. If I didn't do what my dad had told me to do, I could go to Funfair Park as a kid and be there, but there's something inside of me that that it's just not right. If I'm not right with my dad, there's no way I can be happy under any circumstances. If I am right with my dad, I have a reason to have joy no matter the circumstances, and that's exactly the way it works with God. And that's one of the reasons so many Christians are not, uh, not experiencing joy today, because they're not right with God. They're not obeying his commandments. They are not bearing fruit. They are not doing any of those things. They're not loving one another as they should. So this 
this verse teaches us, this passage teaches us, that you can have joy in trials and tribulations even though you're going through a tense time. These disciples were going through a, a tense time and life wasn't making sense to them. Uh, they were confused. They were sorrowful. And in that context, the Lord turns the topic to joy. And I think the point is, He's telling His disciples, if you do what I tell you to do, my joy will remain in you. Now, he's always going to love us. He's always going to love us no matter what. Just like with my kids. I'm always going to love my kids. But if they're rebellious, I'm not going to have joy in them. But if they're obedient, not only am I going to love them, I'm going to have joy in them. You keep his commandments, you bear fruit, you learn, love one another, you can have that joy even in trials. I love what D.L. Moody said, the preacher of yesteryear. The Lord gives his people perpetual joy when they walk in obedience to him. That's one of the reasons some of you know people that um, they're Christians, but there's no joy in their life because you know they're out of God's will. It's a joy that's able to sustain you through trials and tribulations. Not a happiness, not a silly giddiness, you know, high-fiving one another and laughter, the kind of stuff that might come with happiness. No, this is deeper and better than that. Because for the Christian, joy isn't based on our circumstances, but it's based on a relationship. And that's where a lot of us miss it. Joy is not based on our circumstances at all. For the Christian, it's based on a relationship. A relationship where that last evening the Lord says, Fellas, keep my commandments. And he wasn't joking. He meant it. Keep my commandments. He says, bear fruit. He wasn't joking. I want you to bear fruit. You, you've got to have the discipline and the character and the spiritual maturity in your life to keep my commandments and to bear fruit and to love one another. And that takes discipline. That takes character, too, because sometimes some of God's people aren't that easy to love. It's based on a relationship. I like this quote. When we think about the joy of Jesus... We understand that it isn't the same as what we often think of as happiness or excitement. The joy of Jesus is not the pleasure of a life of ease. It is the exhilaration of being right with God and consciously walking in his love and care. We can have that joy and have it as an abiding presence. So the Christian that is not keeping his commandments... The Christian that's not bearing fruit, the Christian that's not loving his brothers, cannot have that joy. I like what Billy Sunday says. This is a quote because this would describe some people, some Christians. If you have no joy, there's a leak in your Christianity somewhere. In other words, something's not happening that's supposed to be happening. God has commanded us to be a certain kind of person. That's not too much for you. You can do it. God expects you to do certain things. He's not expecting you to do something beyond your ability. You can keep his commandments. And it may be a struggle at times, and sometimes you may fail, but your heart is there to keep them. You can bear fruit. True, you may go through a season of 
dryness. But overall, you can, you can bear fruit and you can love the brethren. One gentleman put it this way, no one can get joy by merely asking for it. Boy, that's profound. So many of us just live the way we want to live and then wonder why we're not joyful. No one can get joy by merely asking for it. It's one of the ripest fruits of the Christian life, and like all fruits, it must be grown. Joy is found when you keep his commandments, when you bear fruit, when you love the brethren. One writer said this, Joy has nothing to do with material things or with a man's outward circumstance. A man living in the lap of luxury can be wretched, and a man in the depths of poverty can overflow with joy. And we all know that to be true. Go outside into the laboratory of life, and you will see people that are materially and financially blessed that are indeed wretched, and you can find some people living the most simplest lives that have a joy and a, uh, within them that is real. So it's interesting. It's fascinating that that evening of the Last Supper, it will not be 24 hours before Jesus is crucified. That evening when the weight of the world is in that room on those men, as Jesus is telling them his last instructions, keep my commandments, bear fruit, love the brethren. In that context, he says, these things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you. Just like any parent. And when you see an obedient child, it is joyful to you. A disobedient child is painful. Those disciples and we disciples in this room right now, we are either striving for obedience or we're excusing disobedience, and the Lord will only find joy in those of you who do these things. Last quote says, There is no pure and lasting joy apart from Jesus. Every other joy is false, empty, and transient unworthy of a man as an immortal being and will end in sorrow and union with him alone there is real joy. I love and I underline that there where it says every other joy is false, empty, and transient, unworthy of a man as an immortal being. You and I, we are, immor- we, we are going to live somewhere for all eternity. We are immortal beings. How dare we stoop to the shallow exercise of thinking that joy is going to be found in toys and in things. There's nothing wrong with it. God blesses you with a toy or a thing or whatever. That's fine. And, you know, have fun with it. Let it make you, you happy. But your joy, you're an immortal being. Your joy is in something far superior to that, far more significant than that. Your joy is in the relationship with Jesus Christ. And the Lord will joy in you when you keep his commandments, when you bear fruit, and when you love the brethren. And when you go through a tough time, even as yesterday, losing a spouse, Brother Tim, You could sense with him. He preached his own wife's funeral. And he was able to do that because not of happiness, 
but a joy. Because I believe that is a man that really works to keep the Lord's commandments. He works to bear fruit. And he works at loving the brethren. This message confirms everything that I saw yesterday. What are you going to do about it? Are you going to leave here unchanged? Just life as usual? Life can be so much better for you. Even in the rough situation you're going through, you can have that inner peace, that inner hope we call joy. But only if you're right with God. Only if you're working at being right with God. And you can determine to do that today. You can repent of having not done that today. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that the service was a blessing to you and that you were encouraged by God's Word. If you have any questions about Myo Baptist Church, please contact us anytime. You can find contact information on our website at myobaptistchurch.com Thanks for listening.